0: please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter. If you're gonna use one of the pew Bibles there in front of you, it's on page 938. We're gonna be looking at the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and and the message this morning is entitled Things Are Better When We Look Up. Man, this is Easter Sunday, and and it is the day that is set aside for us to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the reality is, Today is, is what really every Sunday really is. Every single Sunday is a commemoration of the fact that the tomb is empty. The early church began to worship in, uh, on the first day of the week because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, and, and so they, they changed their worship up until that point in time. They had been a, a, a strictly Jewish movement, and they had worshiped on the Sabbath on Saturday. Uh, But on the first day of the week, Jesus Christ arose from the grave. And so the early church begins to work and to celebrate what took place in their life. And that celebration literally began to color everything that they did. It was was life celebrated. It was life lived. It was life focused on truth and and joy and victory after what seemed to be a pretty big loss. Okay? And, And you think about all the people who were involved in the story of Easter. And and literally, they're not approaching it from the standpoint of victory. They're approaching it from the standpoint of a loss. I mean, you think think about the women, we're gonna look at here in just a moment, who made their way to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had delivered from seven demons. Mary, the mother of James the Less, son of Alphaeus. Uh, Salome, those people go and those those girls, those ladies are making the away the tomb, they're gonna anoint the body of Jesus and, and and the whole while they're walking, they seem to be lost, they're focusing on problems that really aren't even their problems. Uh, the, the disciples are lost. I mean, those guys have been on fire for three years, they've walked with Jesus and man, they've worked miracles and they've done all these things and man, now they're huddled up in, a, in an upper, upper room and they're licking their wounds and they're dejected and they're hurting they 're lost man they don't know what's going on. The Sanhedrin and the chief priest those guys are really lost okay I mean they're running around trying to keep Jesus in the grave and, and, and using the powers of the world and the powers of men to, to make sure that what he said about his resurrection wasn't going to take place and and they're trying to deny the reality of something that's taken place literally right before their eyes and and if you and I are honest, there are times in our life where Everything seems lost, okay? We we don't know which way is up. And it's in those moments that Paul tells us in his first letter to the church of Corinth that when all seems lost, it's really not, because God is still sovereign, He's still on His throne. And, and really, just like this situation, when it all seemed lost, it wasn't. It was a victory that was supposed to be celebrated. I mean, he writes to the church at Corinth and he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of sin is is death and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what Paul says is what looks like a loss to the world is really victory, and we need to celebrate it that way. So this morning, we're going to take a look at, at the Gospel of Mark, and, and what we see in the lives of these individuals about the resurrection. And what it means for us. Because the reality is, if it just meant something 2,000 years ago, then Paul also says, you and I, it's hopeless. It's not just about what took place then. It's about what took place in your life and can take place in your family and in your home and in everything else that's going on. It's the hope that we understand because Jesus Christ is alive. If you have your Bibles, open there to the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. So they went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Early on the first day of the week, after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping, yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. Then after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country, and they went and reported to the rest who did not believe them either. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. I don't know where you are today. I'm glad that you're here. I know where you are physically, but I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. I don't know where you are in your your marriage, in your home, in parenting, in your finances. What I do know is no matter where you find yourself today, God has an answer. And that's the first thing that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture The women are on the way to the tomb. The Bible identifies three who are on the way. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had driven seven demons. Mary, the mother of James, son of Alphaeus, or James the Less, and Salome. And and they're on the way. Mark, you might turn me down just a hair. I might get excited in a minute. All right. They're on the way to the tomb, and, and they're dejected. I mean, their savior has died they they just like all the other apostles had believed that jesus was going to come and and he was going to reinstall israel throw off roman tyranny and make israel a new nation they were looking for physical things and missing the spiritual things that jesus christ had been telling them the whole way through and and jesus has died he's been buried he's in the tomb now he told them all that was going to happen he told them everything that was coming but they haven't listened and so they're on the way to the tomb that morning, and, and they're talking, they're, they're dejected, they're depressed, they're probably looking down, it's early, it's still dark, and they get to the tomb, and what they're talking about is who's going to roll away the stone. I mean, they're, they're worried about what they think is a very real problem. But you look at it in verse 3, and, and what it says there is very simply, They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Verse 4, looking up, they observed that the stone, which is very large, had been rolled away. Now, what that describes, we read that and we we think about it, but what it talks about, the way this is written, it's like, and, and you've been there before, okay? They're talking about a problem, the stone, all the while they're looking at the fact that the stone isn't there. I mean, they see it, but they don't really see it. They're talking about who's going to roll away his the stone. There's a problem. We can't get in. We can't anoint his body. There was a big, we saw him. They were there. If you go back and read the accounts and the gospels, they had gone to the tomb and seen his body put there by Joseph of Arimathea. They saw the guard posted. They knew where it was. They saw the stone rolled. All those things have taken place, and they're looking at the open tomb, but they're not looking at it with eyes to see. And then the Bible says, looking up. And that phrase literally means they recovered their sight. It's almost like a light went on. You can see them going, who's going to move the rock? Who's going to move the stone? Wait a minute. It's gone. The, the, The stone's been moved. It's not there. And in that moment, they understand that God, looking through the lens of their pain, they missed what God had already done. And what they saw is that God had given them an answer, not just to their problem, but God had given them an answer to their eternity. You see, God's answer is not just a answer. God's answer is the answer. How many of you would be honest today and say that at some point in your life, you found yourself in a dark situation where you didn't know which way was up which way to turn, which way to go, and if God didn't step in soon, you may be there today, if God doesn't step in and you don't hear an audible voice, see thunder flash and, or, or thunder boom and lightning flash, if God doesn't move in some real way, you don't know if you're gonna be able to take the next step and live through it. Anybody ever been there? Okay, somebody gets so confused we can't see the forest for the trees? Man, that's exactly where the disciples were. That's exactly where Mary and Mary and and Salome were. And God had already provided the answer. Look, let me tell you something. I don't know where you are today, but I tell you this, God's got an answer for you. And it's not just an answer, it's the answer. I want you to listen just real quick to a passage of scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah 65. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah thousands of years ago. This is what he says, for I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past heaven will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the youth will die at a 100 years, and the one who misses 100 years will be cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. What's the word of God say? says this to you right now, no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, before you call, the God of the ages has already answered. While you're still speaking, not as angels, man, please understand this. You see, I really think sometimes our enemy has done a marvelous job of convincing us that we're not very valuable to our Lord and Savior, that we're not very valuable to God, that we we feel like we're also Rams in the kingdom of heaven. Hear the word of the Lord for you today. While you are still speaking, the God of the ages hears you and has already sent an answer, not based on where you are today, but based on your eternity. Things are better when we look up. The second thing this passage teaches us is that he is resurrected. We can believe it. Look at verse six. In verse six, uh, it continues on. says, don't be alarmed. He told them you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been resurrected. Anybody have an exclamation point in your Bible after the word resurrected? Okay? That means the angel was a little bit excited. Okay? I mean, it wasn't he's been resurrected. He was like, he's been resurrected! He's alive! And he stood up. He took off the grave clothes. He took back life. He ain't dead anymore. That's what they said. Now, that's the Brewer translation of that word from the Greek. But that's what we need to understand about the truth of the resurrection. It is something that ought to excite us. The early church focused more on the resurrection than than they did on the cross. We today focus more on the cross, and rightly so. You can't have the resurrection without the cross. But the problem with so many of us today is we have a cross with no resurrection, You and I have got to understand that Jesus is alive and the power that rose him from the dead is the same power that is available to you today in your life to live the life of victory that Jesus Christ has called you to live. You and I need to realize he is alive and because he's alive, life's changed. And the disciples heard that but they didn't believe it. In fact, two different times, eyewitnesses come, Mary Magdalene comes, and she says to Peter and the apostles, I saw him, he's alive. And the Bible says they didn't believe her. Why didn't they believe her? Well, the first time that they didn't believe, it was because of disobedience. They were not being obedient to what Christ had taught them all throughout their life. They were basing their belief not on, on truth and what he had said. They were basing their disbelief on culture. You see, in this day and time, ladies, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm just telling you what history says. In this day and time, women could not be witnesses, okay? If you wanted, you know that show that they have got on how to get away with murder? Well, if you want to get away with murder in this day and time, commit your murder in front of a woman because she couldn't testify against you. She could not be a legal witness. So Mary comes and culturally, the disciples are not letting what Jesus has taught for three and a half years change them. They just refuse to listen. They refuse to believe. They're disobedient. And then Jesus appears to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, and he comes, and they say, hey, we've seen him. He's alive. It's true. And the Bible says there that they didn't believe because of trust. They didn't trust the word of these two disciples. Okay? Why? Well, basically because they were so, their mind was so confused with facts, they didn't want to know the truth. You know, they were licking their wounds. He's gone. We're lost. We're doomed. We're we're going to be crucified just like he is. We're we're we have no purpose in life anymore. And and they mind was so made up about what they thought was true that they didn't trust what God said was true. Bill Gates is the richest man in the world. In two thousand and fourteen. Bill Gates did an interview with Rolling Stones magazine, a really high-quality literary magazine. (laughs) At the end of the interview, Rolling Stones asked Bill Gates, do you believe in God? I'm going to paraphrase, I'm I'm going to try to quote his answer as best I can, but I won't get it word for word. But what Bill Gates said was, I believe like Richard Dawkins, Richard Dawkins is a Atheist, astrophysicist, okay. I mean, he's a guy that believes science has disproven the Bible. He says, I believe, like Richard Dawkins, that very early on in man's misunderstanding and not realizing truth, that they needed to create creation myths and stories to help them understand the weather and disease and and life. and, and, And now science has evolved to the point that it's filled most of the false realm that religion used to fill. Okay, that's his answer up to this point. But then he stopped and he said, however, science does not explain the wonder and the beauty and the amazement of the created world. To say that that was all generated by some random numbers is kind of not a very charitable expression. So I believe that it's okay to believe in God. However, I can't think of one decision in my life that would be different because I believe. Hmm. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, says, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In the third chapter, the 13th verse, he picks up and says, brothers, I don't believe to have already taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining with everything that I am worth towards what is ahead, I push Forward to take hold of the prize, which is the goal of every Christian based upon Christ's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What decision in your life ought to be different because you believe it? Every decision. Do you believe that Jesus Christ's tomb is really empty? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is really resurrected from the dead? If we believe that truth, every decision we make in life ought to be affected by who Jesus Christ is. Who I marry, where I go, what I listen to on the radio, what I watch on TV, what, what I... What the, man, I'd go so far as to say the kind of car you drive, Okay? Every decision in life ought to be affected by the fact that we believe the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It ought ought to touch us in a way that, that we can't even explain. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on to take hold of that for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When I believe it, then I show it. and That's the last thing, verse 14, real quick. Later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were crying at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had been resurrected. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now Jesus rebukes their lack of belief. That's the first thing he does. He finds them, they're hanging out in the upper room, they're still licking their wounds, and he comes in and he rebukes their lack of belief. Then the second thing he does is he rebukes them because they're still sitting in the upper room and they're not out preaching the gospel. He says, look, if you really believe this, and since you've seen me, you ought to believe this, and because you believe this, you need to be out telling people the gospel. Go tell people the good news. Now, we read this verse today in our culture and we get all hung up on baptism. See, there's some today who would teach you that baptism is an essential part of salvation. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. Okay? And they want to use this us first because look at what the first part of verse 16 says, okay? The first part of verse 16 says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Don't overthink the baptism. And let me tell you why. There's two parts to that verse. Remember what I've told you before. The Bible says what it says and means what it means. Interpret scripture in light of scripture and understand the Bible never contradicts itself. Okay, those three things are principles that we need to remember every time we say the Bible. Don't take this verse out of context. Don't look at the first part. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Because Jesus also said the second part. And look at what he says on the second part. Because his focus is not on baptism, his focus is on believing. Look what he says. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. If baptism were essential, Jesus would have said, whoever does not believe and is baptized, but he didn't. The focus is on belief. Do you believe? If you believe, you ought to be preaching it. And that word for preach means a town crier. Now, that doesn't mean a town crier like, "Mm -hmm." that's how most of us act as Christians. You can laugh, it's okay, all right? Most of us act like Christian babies. That's not what it's talking about. When it talks about a crier, it's talking about being a herald that we go around and we tell people Jesus is alive. It's kind of like the guys you used to see in some of those old movies. They would walk through the town. He'd go, nine o'clock, all is well, 10 o'clock. All is well. You know, all that that stuff that, that you used to see. That's what it means to be a town crier. That we're walking around telling people the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And it can be well in your life. If you believe, who do you need to tell this week that Jesus Christ is alive? You and I have got to understand Easter is our Super Bowl. It is our time to go and to begin to tell people that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, now here's the deal. Sometimes we get caught up in circumstances. And, and we get so caught up in the circumstances that we don't know which way to look. If that's where you are today, look up. Jesus has not lost you. He has not misplaced you. If you're a child of God and there's been a time in your life where you believe with all your heart, not some magic prayer, okay? There is no magic formula of prayer. If you pray these exact words, no, man, that's not what it says. Nowhere in there does it say pray some formulated prayer. It says believe and you will be saved. Call and you will be saved. Tell Jesus, I believe that you are God's one and only son. I believe that you died on the cross. I know Your tomb is empty. Save me. If you say that and believe it and mean it, let it change your life. You're saved. It don't matter if you're a Baptist or Methodist or Catholic, Church Christ, Presbyterian. I don't care if you've been sprinkled, dipped, doctor poured. It don't matter. Do you have a relationship to Jesus Christ that's changed your life? If you don't, look up. Look up. There's some of you here this morning, and your life is a mess. Okay, and. And, and you're thinking, man, I, I can't bring this. Man, he did so much for me on the cross. I can't bring this messed up life to him. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to clean it up. You want to polish it. You want to get, man, you want to get six months of perfect church attendance down. You want to you wanna memorize 52 Bible verses, one for every week of the year. Man, you want to be able, man, you, you want to clean it up, man. I want to get it right and get it clean. I want to I treat my family. I want to be right and then I'll bring it to Jesus. Wrong! Wrong. See, the prodigal didn't clean up his life and bring it to Jesus. The prodigal didn't clean up his life and go home. The prodigal went home and got clean. You want your life right? Right where you are. Right whatever it looks like. Messed up. dinged, dented, banged. Man, you might even think you couldn't make it in a scratch and dent sale. I don't care. Bring it to him. Follow the pattern of the prodigal and bring it to him and let him set your life straight. Church, believers, man, there are a lot of us here and we've been focusing on the cross and rightly so, I think we should, trust me. But the problem is we're focusing on the cross with no resurrection. And we keep coming back time and time again to sin. Boy, my sin's covered, my sin's covered, my sin's covered, my sin's covered. You're right, your sin's covered. Jesus said it's finished. Quit focusing on the covering of your sin and start focusing on the empty tomb because the same power that is available to open the grave is the same power that's available to you to live your life in victory. Quit making laps around the same sin. Oh, it's covered. But it's covered to be set free, done, finished. Man, there's some of us here this morning as believers. We need to change our focus. We need to quit looking at the cross and start looking at the empty tomb and accepting His power and His truth in our lives to live life the way that He has called us to live. Some of you here this morning, you need to take a step of baptism. It doesn't save you, it's important. See, I tell you that baptism is a wedding ring, that's what it is, it's a symbol that shows everybody else what you've done in your life that you've trusted Christ. It's obedience. Why don't we get baptized? Jesus said, do it. I'm supposed to be obedient. And for some, you need to take that step. It is actually the first testimony of an obedient life that a believer can deliver. And maybe you're here today. You used to need to get baptized. You need to tell somebody, you know what, I asked Jesus you be Lord of my life when I was 12 or 13 or 20 or 27. I've never been baptized by immersion as a believer. The word baptized in the Greek means dunk. And you need to get dunked. We'd love to talk to you about that, about what it means to live in obedience. Or some of you need a church home. Okay, man, you came today, you just kind of came to check it out and see what it's like, but the reality is this is a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that, that's growing and doing our best to minister our community. Maybe this is where God wants you to be. And you need to come, and you need to join by letter or statement of faith or whatever it is. Do you say, you know what, I, I need to get plugged in. I need to be a part of the body. If this is where God's leading you, come. Come. Just a moment, we're gonna have a time of invitation. We're gonna sing and it's a time to respond. Some of you are gonna stand and sing. Some of you are gonna sit and sing. Some of you are gonna sit and pray. Some of you are gonna go to the back and talk to Matt and Josh. You're gonna go out in the aisle and talk to some of our, our deacons and wives. Just pray with them. You may come and, 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 and kneel here at the front or, or, or come talk to me. Uh, man, ha- whatever God tells you to do, here's my deal, do it. Be obedient to him and celebrate what he's done and wants to do in your life. He's alive. And things are always better when we look up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day that you've given us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would take each of us right where we are. And and, and God, just shape us into the people that you desire that we be. Lord, if there's an area of disobedience in our life, convict us. Father, if there's an area that we need to be set right, set it right. God, I ask you to move in, in homes, and in marriages. Lord, to, to move in, in attitudes. And uh, Father, just today, bless the name of Jesus Christ in this place. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your one and only, only begotten son, that whosoever might believe in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. God, make that truth real. Make it real today in all we do. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen.